On today's episode of Shooting the Breeze, we discuss Hurricane Ida and how it's impacted the Gulf Coast and parts of the Northeast when it came to flooding. It's been a pretty significant storm. We'll break it all down for you. So sit back, relax, and let's shoot the breeze with your local weather authority. Good afternoon, good evening, good night, good morning, depending on what time you're listening to this podcast. I'm your local weather authority, Chief Meteorologist Chris Yates, joined by meteorologist Molly Naisland. Hi. And meteorologist Adam Sherwinski. Hello there. How you guys doing? Doing all right. Yeah. It is a Friday, September 3rd. It's really, guys, it's cold out. It feels like no, fall. No, it's not cold. It feels like fall. <laughs> I, I Get out of here. I'm glad I put pants on instead of shorts like I normally do. Blasphemy! It ain't cold out. Yeah, uh, nice. Delaney, my daughter, shares your uh, shares your feelings. Thank though. you, Delaney. I don't. This is fantastic. Yeah, this, it's nice out. This can stay like this, maybe with more sun, but it could stay like this. For, I I would prefer. I would not be cold if it was sunny out, but it is currently it is cloudy. very cloudy. Yeah. All right, a lot of things happening in the world of weather, not around Central Illinois, but across the country. Uh, we'll get to Hurricane Ida and its path of destruction and everything that came with it uh, here in just a little bit. But first, let's do uh, On This Day in History. 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 So this comes from This Day in Weather History. It's a Facebook page followed on social media. They have every single day an update on some significant weather event, sometimes multiple, because sometimes history repeats itself. You have severe weather one day, then a hurricane comes through the next day. They talk about each instance that's pretty significant. Let's go with today, September 3rd, 1979. Hurricane David made landfall about 20 miles south of Melbourne, Florida, with 90-mile-per-hour winds. It was the first hurricane to strike the Cape Canaveral area since the hurricane of 1926. Hurricane David was a roaring Category 5 hurricane at peak intensity near landfall in Hispanic on August 31st, 1979, caused $25 million in damage. So, pretty big storm right there. Another cool one that's not hurricane-related. September 2nd, 1882, possibly the first photograph of a lightning strike was taken on this day by William Jennings in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So, that's pretty cool. And then we're going to go for another history, kind of more history-history one. September 1st, 1862, the Battle of Ox Hill, or Chantilly, depends who you talk to, is also known as the only major Civil War battle to have been fought during a storm. So think about that. You don't really, you mean you think about weather and history, but you don't really think about like weather events, but you don't think about how they impact battles or other stuff like that. And then another big one, the Plainfield Tornado, that was on uh, back in August 28th, 31 years ago. An F5 tornado struck Plainfield, Illinois, causing 29 fatalities, 350 injuries, and an estimated $160 million worth of damage. And last but certainly not least, as we're going to talk about Hurricane Ida, it's fitting that we talk about the same storm that 16 years earlier made landfall the same day. Hurricane Katrina reached its maximum intensity of a Category 5 on August 28, 2005. At around 12 UTC, it sustained winds that were 175 miles per hour, with the gust to 190 miles per hour and a central pressure as low as 902 millibars. A few hours later, a mandatory evacuation evacuation was ordered for Orleans Parish. And again, we were talking about Katrina. Well, it made landfall 16 years earlier before Hurricane Ida. So yeah. 
just interesting to think about how the world kind of repeats itself. This is uh, peak hurricane season, and uh, um, Louisiana in particular. I'm actually honestly surprised. I mean, I know the last few years they have not been able to catch a break. But, uh, you know, prior to Katrina, I'm surprised something of that magnitude hadn't happened before, just given where it's at. Um, still, I mean, I think New Orleans missed the brunt of this, which is good. And that has to do with the – even though the landfalls were very close mm-hmm. – um, it's that slight shift really helped as far as what the winds were doing. And then um, proof that the, you know, they actually, this was like the first maybe real test since they rebuilt all the levees. Um, there's still some concerns because I think they lost power. So they, mm-hmm. they got to figure out how to maintain power during these storms because they, I think, I don't know if they all went down or if most of them did, um, but I know they were losing their pumps. I knew New Orleans yeah. was completely without power so, at one point during yeah. the storm. They're the really big, like, you need a helicopter to string these transmission lines or what got taken down. So that's going to yeah. take a lot Long longer, longer to get those yeah. fixed. It, it's a, that is probably the biggest challenge with these storms is how to keep power going. But it's good that the levees held up. That mm-hmm. was, um, you know, this storm was made landfall stronger than Katrina did. And it had stronger winds. What was Katrina's when it made landfall? Was it 125, 130? I don't remember Katrina off the top now, of my head. Now, Katrina was a Cat 5 before landfall. That was the one, and that was what I yeah. referenced in this. Not really yeah. Katrina making landfall, right. but Katrina itself at its maximum peak. Now, Katrina weakened uh, once mm-hmm. right before it made landfall, and it weakened real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, Ida kept, I think, continued to strengthen, and, and it slammed mm-hmm. as a 150-mile-per-hour Cat 125. 125 was when it Katrina? Made, when it made okay. landfall. It, it came, I thought it, was, I thought it was heading closer and closer to that track to being Cat for, cat 5, but I never made it to Cat 5. It was a high-end Cat. Was it a 4? Yeah, it was a high-end Cat 4, I thought. What, Ida? Ida, Ida yeah. Ida, sorry, yeah. 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 Ida was a high-end Cat 4. Um, the difference, here's the thing with Katrina's storm surge. I think Katrina's storm surge was also worse, and that's because when you have a big Cat 5 swirling and slowly moving in the Gulf, um, that is pushing a lot of water. So even a storm like that, that weakens, which may have thrown some people off guard, right? Because, mm-hmm. and this is, this is I know discussions are being are always done this time of year, because uh, we want to, as meteorologists, we want to prevent the loss of life. And so there's a lot of, uh, what do we do? What do we need to say? Do we need to stop worrying about the categories being downgraded? Because if you're at home watching, and you say, hey, it was a Cat 5, it's now down to a Cat 4 or a Cat 3. Do you just say, oh, it's not going to be that bad? <laughs> or do you continue to, you know, which, yes, the wind speeds, which is if it's important to understand with hurricanes, the categories are only determined by wind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the number one thing that kills people is the storm surge. It's something that people don't think about, too, because I did a school talk earlier this week, and, you know, they asked one of the biggest questions that kids ask, what's worse, a tornado or a hurricane? I always tell them hurricane because hurricanes are more widespread. There's yeah. multiple hazards with them. And they even have tornadoes in them. So it's basically a tornado plus multiple other things going on. So uh, there's so many hazards, and yeah. storm surge is one that people forget. That's what causes a lot of the water to come into town. And you know what? I, I've, I told my wife this. I've told everybody. I said the one thing I hope to never, ever live through or experience, and frankly, I have no desire to, to go down and cover. Now, obviously, if I get sent there, I get sent there, is to cover hurricanes. I would rather cover every other natural disaster. Same. And live through every other natural disaster. Hurricanes are the one thing I don't want to touch. I think Molly and I can agree our Midwestern brains don't. We hear hurricane, and we're, even if it's a cat one, we're like, eh. I'm yeah. going to not be a I'm part good. of that. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, kudos to everybody who lives in Florida, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Texas, 
big, big respect to the meteorologists who mm-hmm. are down there, who are forecasting out. Some of them, especially at the Weather Channel, who will get out in it, taking measurements, doing their reports in the wind and everything. Yep. Meteorologists who do all of that. I mean, there were some props. valuable, valuable stuff came out of that. The people who are out there with the anemometers. I mean, they were they were actually measuring mm-hmm. gust. And, and here's the thing: when it comes to hurricane forecasting and, and verifying. Sometimes we just don't have the sensors to verify what it looks like the storm actually is doing aloft, right? And so when the weather service is flying through these things with their hurricane hunters and they're dropping their their probes and stuff into the storm, sometimes they don't have any ground truth because either all the sensors have been knocked out due to power failure or busted because of the wind, um, or there's just nothing there. Uh, you know, you're sometimes relying on buoys mm-hmm. that have to get hit directly by an eye wall to figure out what the wind is. I mean, if there's not a boat out there or a buoy or an oil rig, right? You're not. What are you going to know? You're you're using your best estimate based on what's going on above the ground, mm-hmm. and they do very well with that. They get there's very reasonable accuracy with that mm-hmm. uh, with hurricane hunters doing their thing, which is a cool job. That's a that cool is job. man. AC 130s. Now, cool. when you're if it, if you tell me, Chris, we want you to go, you're going to go cover a hurricane. I'll be like, eh, I don't want to do that. But you're doing it from a hurricane hunter. Sign me up. Yeah, I will yeah, fly through are... a hurricane. I don't want to be on the ground. <laughs> I don't want to be on the ground, but I will fly through. They one. get some really good pictures too. Oh, oh yeah, that's an that's an incredible job. Uh, you know, might be a little crazy, but it's you know those planes are designed to to handle that. Oh yeah, AC 130s mm-hmm. are awesome, man. Yeah tough anyway we did get uh, a lot of folks were the storm chasers that were out there and reporters who were out there and doing their thing they were actually measuring gust and you know mm-hmm. 150 sustained i think at one point somebody said they had a gust of 170 right along the coast Oof, that's i mean that's that's painful that's a one of the power went out i mean come on you have constant wind i mean consistent winds like gusts up to that high i mean well, that's just the thing is yeah i mean it's it's not like a, a severe thunderstorm i mean we had the duratio last year mm-hmm. right that mm-hmm. went through and and you know, that was 20 minutes of maybe 100-plus mile-per-hour winds. But imagine that for three or four hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it, and then the water coming in with it. Mm-hmm. Plus so, the rain, plus the chance of tornadoes. Yep. You might even see some hail. You know, it's it's, uh, it's lightning. Golly. Yeah, pretty significant. Uh, so we had a number of tornado reports and, and uh, throughout the southeast. Uh, old or before Adam. Zach Hatcher, our weekend meteorologist, is in Dothan, Alabama. His little town. <laughs> I kept sending him text messages the other day because they were under two or three different tornado warnings. Oh, I was, I was seeing the Twitter updates. The <laughs> and other one day. went by. So uh, Zach's doing good. I, I haven't. I, I think he's doing okay. But uh, I'm like, dude. <laughs> yeah, I saw that there was one or two warnings when I looked last time, but it wasn't like a million warnings. I've seen more warnings with more storms, but. I mean, there's still that threat, though. I mean, yeah, I, I yeah. was just—I'm surprised it was like the same spot warned over, over, and over again. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the—that's the part I was kind of wow. I don't think I've ever seen that with a hurricane. That, that little uh, trough—it uh, wasn't really a front, but that trough just—it wasn't moving, and so there's just that yeah. little extra spin. And I mean, they only get tornadoes this time of year with these tropical systems, right. and so—and the same could be said. Now we had a lot of tornado reports uh, throughout the mid-Atlantic. Um, Parts of the Northeast uh, through, uh, let's say, we got Maryland, New Jersey had some. We had a pretty big one go through parts of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Uh, Folks that they're not used to that, but if they're going to get tornadoes, it's usually with these type of systems. I mean, that's rare to even get them even in the spring. I mean, think about that. We usually are, but this uh, this time in the spring, we're usually thinking about tornadoes, supercells. They don't even, 
really uh, deal with that even in the springtime as much as we do. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. It's uh, there, I believe, and I have to double check this, but I believe um, their peak tornado season may very well be hurricane season. Which would make sense. That would make sense. Uh, they had some big ones. That will. <laughs> Some of those that came through were big and oh, long tracked. Saw some of the video, and I was like, "That, that sound looks like the spring there in like Kansas or something." Yeah, that looks like spring in the Midwest. Yep. Yeah. yeah, you if they didn't say it was New Jersey, you would you would have said that's got to be somewhere in the Midwest or mm-hmm. the Central Plains. I think the video that Molly and I were talking about before it was somebody that was taking video from their porch, which wasn't the smartest move in my opinion. Right. But I think that was in New Jersey, and I was just like, "That looks like something that happened down in like Alabama." Yeah. Early, early this spring, I was like, "That didn't." I saw that. I had to read the state twice. I was like, "Wait, a, wait a Are minute." Are we sure? I um, one of our reporters from a few years ago lives in New Jersey now, and she was trying to fly out to Tampa to go meet some family. And the airport that she was trying to fly out of had like three feet of water on their first floor. Oh, that's an- mm. another thing too. Sense of tornadoes, just the flooding. Yeah. Was- I saw uh, some video of the subways going mm-hmm. through uh, New York, and you just see waterfall of just. I feel like they run into that though because they've had, they've had flooding inc- flooding solely instances uh, up along in the Northeast, but not all of them are tropical storm or hurricane right. related. So yeah, the the flooding uh, so far it looks like based on the reports, and, and there are still people missing as of this recording. But there's 45 to 50 people who died. Most of them have been across uh, parts of the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why there's a lot of discussion, or there's not a lot, but there's been some discussion. Hey, what, you know, what should we do to better communicate uh, these threats? And maybe we can dive into this in just a little bit. Uh, but that would be a kind of an interesting uh, discussion to kind of explore. I, there, I don't think there's any wrong or right answer with that. At the end of the day, uh, when the authorities or when the weather service says, hey, this is going to be bad and you need to take it. But lot, what do you do when you haven't seen it before, right, mm-hmm. in your lifetime? Uh, we've seen flooding in the, in, in, in the northeast before, New York in particular, right? New York is in a spot where they can get walloped by blizzards. They can get walloped by these flash floods. you got to understand, too, it's a concrete jungle up there. Yeah. Concrete jungle island, yeah. Okay. And somebody brought it up. This was a valid point, right? You know, we had – they had 6 to 10 inches of rain – across that part of the country mm-hmm. parts of mclean county earlier this year picked up 10 to 15 inches of rain right uh, the flooding was bad the flooding anytime you're getting over six inches of rain the flooding is going to be bad the difference is is here that water actually has somewhere to go where it's not necessarily populated at least there's going to be homes there's going to be farms there's going to be smaller communities that are certainly impacted mm-hmm. And are certainly going to have a hard time. When you're talking New York City, when you have millions of millions of people in a small area, um, the water has nowhere to go. The drains aren't designed to keep up with it, and they're probably not going to be. I mean, it's a one in a 200 to 500 year event. What do you, Mm. in a city like that at sea level, what do you do? What can you engineer? to direct that water out. So instead, all the water is going into the subways. It's going into the basement apartments, which is where I think a lot of people in New York lost their lives because their apartments who live in the basement level. Basement and garden level apartment And they're all filling with water. And so that's where uh, most of the people um, sadly would pass away because they're told to stay home, which they're doing, which Mm -hmm. you don't want to be out in that. 
Um, but when the water, and if you watched any of those videos, that water was coming in quick. So if mm-hmm. you were in there and you tried to get out, I'm not entirely sure you could have gotten out, even if you tried. Yeah. I was just, I, I don't, I mean, yeah, you're right. There has been flooding there before. I just don't think I've ever remembered it so vividly, no. like what they saw on YouTube. Like, whereas I think it was New Jersey, they had a video and it was fish coming out of the, um, one of the grates or something. Or one of the fish, like where they were just like left because mm-hmm. the flooding was so intense. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, what do we do with these fish that are all like popped out? And I think uh, Ginger Z up in New York did something or had a video of it on Instagram. And I was like, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've seen that in a while where I've seen that up by New York where they have fish out I mean, because of flooding. That's always, uh, we saw it with Harvey. Yeah. There was yeah. fish on the interstate. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. There's, there's water. The, the fish are going to no. be there. there. And Harvey was a storm that, now Ida didn't, wasn't necessarily a slow mover. It's not like it stopped, right? right. Which right. is what Harvey did. And Houston, their system is, they're designed to flood again. They have their interstates built in a way where they can, certain interstates are designed to just collect water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea is that they would close the interstates to let it collect water. Uh, but Harvey, obviously, it, that, that went far beyond. I mean, that was that storm just did not move. But uh, Harvey, I mean, I mean, with Harvey, too, Houston's like New York. It's I heard it was so built up so quick that um, it was basically went from being what Houston used to be to, like, more concrete. And they just weren't. There was more concrete than what there used to be years and years ago, and that kind of like led into the whole, yeah. as you were saying earlier, it's just concrete. Where's the water going to go? Yeah. There's just, there is nowhere to, and in New York, I mean, a lot of that is artificial. I mean, I believe most of Manhattan is built on artificial land. I mean, it's, you know, it's stuff they, right. they've built into the bay to, to build up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, there's, at some situations, there's not much you can do. And, and it, it brings in an interesting, interesting perspective or something else. What if, that axis of heavier rain was 50 miles further north. There would have still been significant flooding. There would have been more, there would have still been some impacts with some of those communities, but it wouldn't have been as bad as what we saw in New York City. I would say probably not. I mean, you're not going to see, you know, that kind of water building up because yet the water up there has somewhere to go. It has somewhere to soak in initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're still going to have communities that are flooded and they're going to, People are still probably going to die. You had roads getting washed out, and those are scary because middle of the night, you know, no power. (laughs) You may not see it until it's too late. Yeah. Um, So, so yeah. Uh, uh, Speaking of which, I went back and looked at tornado probabilities. Um, Hurricane season is peak season for for that part of the country. I think the last I saw, someone had shared the SPC tornado probability, and it was about maxed out. When Ida was expected to go through the Northeast, it was it was either, up there. It was either maxed out or close to it. It was in the it was they I, I don't remember the exact percentage, but it was high, especially for them, mm-hmm. right? And then they had the high risk uh, for flash flooding, which again, and this comes to most of those people. And I think you have to go back before you probably find flooding of that magnitude. Um, it's probably never happened um, before. At least not reason, but they've had instances, at least not this widespread flooding. But there's probably been instances where other parts of New York have flooded right. in the past. Um, but most of that would have happened, you know, there's some news articles. You have to go back and look through old articles to find stuff from like the 1920s and 30s where bad thunderstorms created some flooding. Um, but if you've never seen it before, which most of the people in New York probably have never seen anything remotely close to this. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you prepare for it, right? And so I would be, you know, 
how do you message that? And this is where we can start going into what we can do. Now, I mean, this doesn't impact didn't impact us, but as a broader broadcast meteorologist and meteorologist in general, how can you? What can you better do to convey those threats? Because you got to say, hey, look, this is going to be something. It's hard to visualize what this is going to do to you. And um, so how, what can we do to express the dangers of these different threats? I think as far as the, um, we were talking about people who are in those basement or garden level apartments not being able to get out, conveying early enough, there's a really bad flood risk with this, don't. Stay sheltered, but get to a safe shelter. Get Gar- above get above ground. Get above ground because a basement or garden level apartment uh, is not going to be safe at a certain level of flooding. The water is going to get in. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I'm thinking about it right now because you're right. You have to you have to get that whole point across. But another thing too is that once uh, we're talking about Ida, Ida mm-hmm. and the biggest thing is that it was a hurricane when it made landfall. Now it's not a hurricane anymore. And so people already have that instinct of, it's not a hurricane, so mm-hmm. it's not as threatening. People already have that in the back of their heads. I used to think like that when I was younger, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's not a hurricane anymore. It's not going to cause any more problems. It's going to rain. But if it's still got those other impacts that are going to come along with other, you know, the way it was working and moving out, I mean, it's kind of hard to get that relay. That You got to keep relaying that message like, yeah, it's not a hurricane anymore. You're right. This is not a hurricane, comma, but what's left of the storm is going to make these major impacts. And I think we just got to keep relaying that it's still a potent system that we need to keep our eyes on. Helping on our end, I mean, not necessarily specifically us, but we do get tropical storm remnants mm-hmm. that come through central Illinois, educating people on this is what is with a tropical storm. Just because it is not a hurricane doesn't mean it's not dangerous, doesn't mean it's not going to cause a lot of problems. Yeah, This is what it is. This is what you can expect. You need to be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some debate amongst meteorologists now going on about um, – should we call them certain things at the, you know, should we, I don't, I don't know if it really has an impact. I I don't know. I think if you, if your forecast remain impact based and you're just focusing on the impacts, it shouldn't really matter what it's called. Um, Remnants, it, whatever, what's yeah. left of. I usually tropical, say what's left of. What's left of. And I mean, you could, and somebody at home to say, I mean, people at home are still going to take that as well. It's not a hurricane. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But how do you, get the point across because that was actually ida from start to finish was very well forecasted uh the track itself um was really good mm-hmm. the uh, uh, national hurricane center storm cone was about as perfect as it could be from several days out mm-hmm. that was one of their better forecasts that i've seen them do in a long time and their forecast by the way if you want to go and compare forecasts now to 10 years ago and this is this is true about anything uh, whether it's hurricane forecasting, whether it's severe weather forecasting, you know, they have gotten very, very good. And you'll notice, especially when you look at severe weather outbreaks, the slights, the moderates, the high risk, the enhancers, all that stuff is smaller, right? They're mm-hmm. able to narrow it mm-hmm. down. You know, it's not that the threat is not it's, – it's not that the threat has condensed any. It's that we are better at pinpointing these areas where – now, that pinpoint is still a couple states wide, but you're not marking off entire sections of the U.S. for a higher risk, right? Yeah, you're not putting, like, from Alabama all up to Indiana, high risk. Right. You're putting maybe part of Indiana. So or- the, the day of the Washington tornado, that was a, if you go back and look at that SBC outlook, that was a very large high risk. Yeah. That would be much narrowed down mm-hmm. today, right? They would have had that probably very close to where every single tornado would have 
touchdown. And well, even uh, the warning polygons went from being full counties to drawn yep. polygons. And they're they're smaller and more efficient these days, too. Yeah. They're not as big because we, we've got better technology, better verification. And uh, there is some interesting modeling going on out there. Uh, looking forward to this. Uh, I think it's still testing, but it's basically using real-time, you know, tracking out where tornado potential is going to be. I forgot what it's called, but there's a new modeling where it basically takes all the radar data and it gives you an update. When the radar updates, the model updates, and how storms are going to behave. What's the probability of hail? What's the probability of tornadoes? What's the probability of this thing producing damage? That's, and that's going to be – that's – I know the ones you're talking about. Now I can't remember the I name. I can't remember the name of it. I was playing around with it earlier this spring, and I, I completely forgot what it was called. Uh, but it, it that's cool. It's kind of uh, it's the Weather Service's one of their tools, and so that's exciting coming down the pipe. Uh, so that you know things are going to get better eventually as mm-hmm. far as the ability to predict it. But you can predict it all you want if you're not going to act, if you're not going to prepare. And we, we saw the preparation in New Orleans from yeah. Katrina to Ida. They did massive updates to their levee system and instead of seeing levees rupturing and failing we instead would see oh these levees were overtopped but they weren't breached they weren't breached they were uh, just over the biggest issue then and this is this is going to be an issue in general mm-hmm. and we saw this in texas is the power grid right mm-hmm. you've got to shore up your power supply so where it, it doesn't go down and and that that's not an easy thing to do that is very very challenging because you you have to transport it there's no you may not be able to do it you know, underground lines, but you can't, I don't think you can do that down there because it's all swampy and, you know, it's below soft. sea level. It's soft, you know. So what do you do? How, what kind of engineering can you do? I mean, it, it's also a problem here for the Midwest, too. I mean, when we get our severe weather outbreaks, power is out for hours uh, here, mm-hmm. too. And how do we deal with that combat, that issue, especially when we get derechos and when we get those big windstorms? Um, how do we combat that here? How do they combat, like you said, with Texas? And, you know, it, that's a, just an overall, I think, problem to figure out how are we going to keep the power flowing. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, wildfires is another great example. I mean, you lose one or two towns or some lines and you've already got yep. a power grid and down. The, um, for instance, wildfires, uh, my mom, who has worked with the power companies out in California, uh, you know, they, they, A, they have their own meteorologist crew. They have this whole weather, they have their own little weather centers. And what they do is they actually shut down lines where the wind is blowing, where they know they're going to, where either fires may spark. And so they re-divert power elsewhere to try to, A, to try to avoid the fires altogether. Yep, I have a friend in college who, do, who, <laughs> yep. who works with, like, I mean, he doesn't personally shut down the power, but he does the forecast to yep. tell him, hey, by the way, this is where we're expecting the fires to increase. This is where the fires are dying yep. down at. This is where the lines are going to be clacking together and blowing a bit. This is where they're going to spark. And so they just shut the power down. And so the, the challenge is to, okay, how can we keep people with power? And not mm-hmm. and still continue to do that. Uh, this is you know the, the right now and this works for now because what we can do is they go out and the power crews they they pre-stage everybody right and so yeah. these energy companies they have all their linemen and women out ready to go in nearby states and then they just all flock in as soon as the storm leaves to start mm-hmm. repairing. Well, I remember talking to Ameren um, here in Illinois before we had our after we had that blizzard or not blizzard uh, the uh, ice storm come through on the first. Mm-hmm. I think I talked to him again because we were expecting another winter storm to come through. And they said, we're already ready. Like, we, yep. as much as we mm-hmm. can be. You know, we're just, we've got, we've got guys, we know where we're going to put them if something were to happen. Like, let's say the power goes out here in Peoria. Okay, one of the first spots we're going to go to is OSF. And, like, 
out there in St. Francis, make sure we get our spots that, you know, they always go to the spots that need it first, and that would be the hospitals, that'd be the police station, fire station, to make sure that we keep everything, all our emergency systems up. And they've got parts of town that they know that usually get, and even if there's a small storm that they usually get hit, well, they're going to probably send them out first. Yep. Because, okay, they consistently get hit no matter how windy it gets. So I just find that fascinating that they already know, they already have a, they, they, they're starting to have, and every time they refine their plan every single mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. too, which I think is great that they don't just go, it's the same plan. No, they do it over and over again, which, yep. and they already know what they're doing. So that's cool that they use what they know from weather to make those, to make th- those quick actions happen. happen. Yep. And eventually, we'll, you know, in this, it costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time, but the infrastructure in general for these power grids need to be upped and improved, and that will happen over time. It's, it's not something that can be done real quick. Um, so um, the next thing, once you get through that, what can individuals do to prepare? So if you at home are watching the forecast, and I don't know what where people were getting information, there's a lot of people are trying to figure out, because this meteorologist that kills us when we hear people are dying from storms, because we work, the whole purpose of what we do is to prevent that. To let you know what's going to happen. And it gets frustrating when people are still losing their life and that's i mean look at some point there's not much we can we can do right i mean on in broadcast um you know we can be honest about this not as many people are getting their forecast from from the nightly news anymore you know most people are getting them from their apps i think there's apps out there that do good there's apps that do bad um but what ways, if somebody's watching the evening news, because this is what we can control, right? People who are watching the evening news sit down and watch to get the forecast. What can we do to better relay those impacts? Anything come to the top of your mind? I know from our experience here with just um, with our tornadoes and our thunderstorms, our first go-to is you need to seek shelter now. And then telling people what shelter to aim for, interior room, lower level, Mm -hmm. something sturdy. Uh, But you run into the issue with hurricanes specifically, power getting knocked out, forecasters still trying to forecast and people not being able to get it because they can't watch TV. Mm -hmm. Their internet might be out. Cell phone towers might be going down at that point. So I think at that point it would be getting the necessary information out soon enough and hoping that people actually take that seriously with i mean they were sending out evacuations which i think helped yes of course there's always going to be people that stay i think education first and foremost before even you start talking about forecasting will help immensely because when we we, at the beginning of the storm season for us we talk about like what you need in your kits what's a watch versus a warning what kind of watches and warnings are there? What kind of severe weather do we expect here potentially in central Illinois? So at the beginning of the season or beginning at some point, make sure you hammer home that education. The stuff you're going to need before a hurricane strikes. Where are you going to go if there's a hurricane? Uh, you know, what does the forecast cone mean? All Just keep hammering home the education. And then once you get to the message, they already know what to expect. When I say, when we say there's a hurricane warning or if there's a tornado warning, they know, okay, They've already drilled this into us. We know what a tornado warning is. We know how serious this is. Let's go for our plans that we've already put down before the storm strikes. It's about preparing. Mm-hmm. Be, be ready well before that disaster even happens. And it also, you know, we can do better at relaying, you know, in the days ahead, the expected impacts. So with Ida, there was that high risk. For, they had that pinpoint, I think, two days before a thing arrived, right? Now, the forecast, and you. this is where... 
it gets hard because the the public wants to know how much rain am I going to have from this storm? How much rain? How much flooding? When is it going to happen? That's what they want to know. We can't give them the the exacts. Mm-hmm. Now we we can give them a reasonable range, and we can say worst case scenario it's going to be here. Best case scenario in here, most likely scenario in here. We and we, I've started doing this a little bit on my social media pages uh, during the winter, right? I call it a uh, boom bust or most likely scenario, and I kind of lay out uh, the different, you know, low end range, high end range, and, and the most likely range, and th- that kind of breeds in the uncertainty a little bit. Um, but let's take Ida's forecast. I believe the forecast was for a widespread four to six inches of rain from the storm with a potential for some areas to pick up 8 to 14. When you when when you hear that, the general public is probably starting to roll their eyes saying they don't know, right? Because mm-hmm. that is a you just gave me a 10-inch range, a 4 to 14-inch range in rainfall. That is a big difference in that, you know, and honestly I don't blame them for rolling their eyes, but that's where the skill is right now, right? We don't we don't know. We don't know where those heavier downpours are going to go. We can give you, we can tell you where it would be as far as a general area, but that's still a good 100-mile wide mm-hmm. swath. And so there's going to be these smaller variations in track that we can't pinpoint. Uh, so my, you know, the advice that I would have for the viewers uh, is to just, look, take that forecast seriously and be prepared for the worst. Just understand, more often than not, that's not going to happen, but at least you're prepared for it. But even though, let's say you were prepared 14 inches of rain, what does that look like in New York City? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't even think most meteorologists would have had a grasp as to what kind of— I mean, that was what we had was uh, 6 to 7 inches, I think, in the New York area. Uh, Newark, New Jersey picked up—they set an all-time daily rain, an all-time record for rainfall in one day. Uh, but th- three— to four inches of that came in one hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no, probably no amount of preparation you're going to do for that. I mean, it's tropical oh, yeah. system meets a front, and hello. I mean, that's that's yeah. what it is. And uh, I was just looking at pictures a little bit ago uh, while we were all talking. Um, Ginger Z put some more. She put one from uh, Philadelphia. another spot that got hit pretty hard. The Schuylkill River that runs right through town. Um, record flooding there, too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's cutting right through the city, too. And so uh, it, it, you're right. How do we... I always like to use the phrase, prepare for the worst. As you said, we have to be prepared for the worst, but hope for the best. But the most likely scenario, it's right in the middle, which I think yeah. is great that we're, we, we, you give those, because I, I look at them when you post them on social media, obviously. And I, I, I like that you do most likely because it gives an idea, okay, this is what we should be prepared for. But the worst case scenario still keeps in the back of their mind. Yeah. Like this is the absolute worst that could potentially yeah. happen. And that happens every once. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. Yeah. Um, there is a weather forecasting has come a very long way in the last the last 10 years. But, I mean, it has come a long way. It, it constantly is improving at an exponential rate. Which Their capabilities, good. the modeling. But there's always going to be a degree of uncertainty because we don't know what's going on at every square inch of the atmosphere at every single second of the day. It'd be impressive. If there's, we there's <laughs> it also, be. there's also a delay in the data. Yep, there is. It's, it's not instantaneous. Looking outside is instantaneous, yeah. but you can only see so far when you're looking outside. It, it's uh, just, it'll get better. The forecast will continue to improve. They're not going to be perfect. There's not going to be. I don't know. If we'll ever get to a point where, like, 
AI takes over weather forecasting. I know if if I know IBM has their they have their certain model. It's not doing too good. <laughs> so, I mean, from what I understand, it has its moments, but that's supposed to be the best computer technology in the world, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean AI just be raw data straight from the GFS or Well, from I mean, artificial intelligence, you're starting to talk about it actually deciphering. Okay, that okay, that now I, I mean, you're talking you're talking Terminator. Dun, 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 I mean, you're dun, talking dun. down the road, but I mean, that cuz that's where it's going is eventually it's not just it's not just ones and zeros. It's ones and zeros that can then process um, that can actually start to think and, and and issue. I mean, you're talking futuristic stuff, but that's where this is. We that, that's where this Ida, industry. Now we're talking about Skynet. I'm well, just I'm just telling you. <laughs> I'm just telling you. That's no, I know. I, I just get it. Just, I find it fascinating. That's where the industry. That's where the the modeling is eventually probably going to go. But there's always going to need to be somebody there because I'm not sure how well AI is going to be able to decipher. And you know, again, you only know what you know. And I don't know what AI is going to know. I'm that that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. But you know, if the if we can't sense the data, right? If we can't the the mathematical equations that meteorology are based off are very very good. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that we have so many holes coming into the data that get plugged in with constants and and rules because we don't know, and so we make a lot of assumptions in the model data that. There's a lot of errors that happen over time. And that's why you get people like us that try to sift through. We that try to sift through the errors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, and yep. it is what it is. But that's why you get the ranges. So that's why when you get a tropical system, you're gonna say, "Hey, four to six inches of rain with potential up to 14." You're like, "Uh, yeah." And so, it is gonna be a learning experience. Mm-hmm. I think and, every single one is though. Really, yeah. if you think about it, Hurricane Harvey was. I mm-hmm. think Katrina certainly was, especially as we learned with. What Molly just said, we're talking about the levee system. I mean, that was a huge overhaul to their levee system. It's a good, idea, a good example of how if you do update, and that's another thing, you got to update this, you know, these this infrastructure and plan for, you know, continue to prepare for even worse storms, even though they may not happen. It doesn't hurt to be prepared for them to some degree, but then, you know, there's a lot of other cost and stuff way into I mean, that. Every, I think every single storm, that com- major storm that comes through, whether it be a tornado Hail, derecho, hurricane, I mean, or blizzard, are all, like you said, learning events. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're we're Mm -hmm. learning more about Texas's grid system. We're learning about how to make better levees. We're learning how to better forecast with Ida. I think it's going to be amazing what happens 20 years from now. And we're like, I can't believe that's what happened. We should have done this, this, and this. Like, the hindsight's going to be so much bigger. Eventually, yep. There's going to be a lot of good studies, I think, that'll come from Ida and its impact and how to word certain things, Mm -hmm. how how to get people... Actually, ideally, it'd be cool, right? If you can say there's going to be catastrophic flooding and then model, if we get eight inches of rain, how does that look? And for broadcasters to be able to show that. So, you know, Times Square, let's just say eight inches of rain, Times Square is going to be under this much water. They um, We do similar things with storm surge. Yeah, they do that. Uh, the Weather Channel is able to do that with some of their, their augmented reality stuff. Right. But even then, that is still... That is not necessarily modeled. It's it's mm-hmm. just a three D rendering cool right. graphic. It's a nice representation. But if you were to take things. the current forecast, dump it into a local model, say, what is this going to do to our area streets? And see it. That would be kind of a cool visualization from I'm kind from of visualizing it right now. That we bit. could see. Uh, I think the Illinois State Climatologist recently tweeted out something on the Gibson City flooding. Now this was post storm, but you could he they 
tweeted out um, a time lapse of how the water moved and flooded Gibson City, mm-hmm. and then and then started to recede, and how the water was moving throughout that entire event. If we can do that before a storm arrives, I think there's some significant value there. That's a lot of. Uh... That's a lot of engineering data. That's a lot of. That is. Oh, it's a lot. It's it, a lot from all. all it parties. may not be able to be done, which is why we're not doing it. But that's so fascinating. That that you know that's the kind of stuff I think in the future. I mean, future of our industry, those impact type things. Because if you've ever seen the high res, we don't show them very often. I don't. I mean, I was showing some low resolution, uh, storm surge stuff with Ida, but the high res stuff they actually do, for, especially for emergency management. They get down to the square meter. I mean, it is very high res. You can see which states are going or which streets are going to be inundated with water based on the storm surge. It's great stuff. Fascinating. It's mm-hmm. great stuff. I think we can apply that technology to flash flooding wow. eventually. Um, so that's where the future I think will go with with this. And it's exciting. Future. Future. There, but there's always going to be a need for us little meteorologists to sort it all out. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Anything? I, anything else you guys would like to add, or should we call it a good day? This is a nice long episode, by the way. Oh, of course. I so. feel like we haven't had a long episode in a while. Yeah, I feel oh. like we haven't had a joke in a while. Anyone got a joke? Oh, I don't have one right now. Oh, let me hang on. I'll go. I, I will go hunt for one. Uh, oh, should I hunt for a hurricane joke, or should I hunt for a just something fun? A general joke. Just, just give us one fun. that doesn't. Never mind. I was gonna. I was gonna <laughs> put a joke in there too. So, well, by the way, uh, if you're listening to this, check out our previous, while Molly's looking, check out our previous podcast. We spoke to Chris Miller, uh, who retired um, this past week. And it, last weekend. Last, last Saturday. weekend. Thank you. And uh, so be sure to uh, check that out. It was a good conversation. We started this podcast with Chris Miller, and he's been a good ass, uh, asset to the team or to the to the weather service. And he's always been available for us when we, uh, when we needed him. So... Uh, that was a that was a nice fun conversation. It's always good to listen to stories from people who've been around the area for a while, uh, because they remember everything, all the you know the, all the big ones and all the good ones, and uh, so that was a good one. And hopefully we'll have another one popping up here. Uh, we taped one a few weeks, maybe a month ago now. Oh no! Oh, that was a good one. That, that was fun. One. That it, was a fun one. It's it it's not time sensitive, but it's a fun one on uh, on what we would do if we were meteorologists. Hopefully that's going to be. Hopefully that one's going to be up uh, soon as well. Um, so that it's might be posted one. by the time this is up. Yeah, that's a fun one. It's a, it's it's been hold off because it, it's not a time sensitive. Speaking of good one, I have a fantastic joke now. Let's hear it. Okay, okay. What's the difference between a horse and the weather? I don't know. One is rained up and the other rains down. Oh my God. <laughs>